Part two, chapter eight of Beyond by John Galsworthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Part two, chapter eight. Thorson's letters were the source of one long smile to Jip. He missed her horribly, if only she were there, and so forth, blended in the queerest way with the impression that he was enjoying himself uncommonly. There were requests for money, and careful omission of any real account of what he was doing. Out of a balance running rather low, she sent him remittances. This was her holiday too, and she could afford to pay for it. She even sought out a shop where she could sell jewellery, and, with a certain malicious joy, forwarded him the proceeds. It would give him, and herself, another week. One night she went with Winton to the octagon, where Daphne Wing was still performing. Remembering the girl's squeaks of rapture at her garden, she wrote next day, asking her to lunch, and spent a lazy afternoon under the trees. The little dancer came with avidity. She was pale and droopy from the heat, but happily dressed in liberty silk with a plain turned-down straw hat. They lunched off sweetbreads, ices and fruit, and then, with coffee, cigarettes and plenty of sugar plums, settled down in the deepest shade of the garden, Jip in a low wicker chair, Daphne Wing on cushions and the grass. Once past the exclamatory age, she seemed a great talker, laying bare her little soul with perfect liberality. And Jip, excellent listener, enjoyed it, as one enjoys all confidential revelations of existences very different from one's own, especially when regarded as a superior being. Of course, I don't mean to stay at home any longer than I can help, and it's no good going out into life, this phrase she often used, till you know where you are. In my profession one has to be so careful. Of course, people think it's worse than it is. Father gets fits sometimes. But you know, Mrs. Fjorson, home's awful. We have mutton. You know what mutton is. It's really awful in your bedroom in hot weather. And there's nowhere to practice. What I should love would be a studio. It would be lovely somewhere down by the river, or up here, near you. That would be lovely. You know, I'm putting by. As soon as I ever have two hundred pounds, I shall skip. What I think would be perfectly lovely would be to inspire painters and musicians. I don't want to be just a common term. Ballet, business, year after year and that... I want to be something rather special. But Mother's so silly about me, she thinks I ought to take any risks at all. I shall never get on that way. It is so nice to talk to you, Mrs. Fjorson, because you're young enough to know what I feel, and I'm sure you'd never be shocked at anything. You see, about men. Or want to marry, or ought want to take a lover. They say you can't be a perfect artist till you've felt passion. But then if you marry, that means mutton over again, and perhaps babies, and perhaps the wrong man after all. Oh! But then, on the other hand, I don't want to be raffish. I hate raffish people. I simply hate them. What do you think? It's awfully difficult, isn't it? Jip, perfectly grave, answered. That sort of thing settles itself. I shouldn't bother beforehand. Miss Daphne Wing buried her perfect chin deeper in her hands and said meditatively, Yes, I rather thought that too. Of course I could do either now, but you see, I really don't care for men who are not distinguished. I'm sure I should only fall in love with a really distinguished man. That's what you did, isn't it? So you must understand. I think Mr. Fjorson is wonderfully distinguished. Sunlight, piercing the shade, suddenly fell warm on Jip's neck, where her blouse ceased, 
unfortunately stilled the medley of emotion and laughter a little lower down. He continued to look gravely at Daphne Wing, who resumed, Of course, Mother would have fits if I asked her such a question, and I don't know what Father would do. And it is important, isn't it? One may go all wrong from the start, and I do really want to get on. I simply adore my work. I don't mean to let love stand in its way. I want to make it help, you know. Count Rosex says my dancing lacks passion. I wish you'd tell me if you think it does. I should believe you. Jip shook her head. I'm not a judge. Daphne Wing looked up reproachfully. Oh, I'm sure you are. If I were a man, I should be passionately in love with you. I've got a new dance where I'm supposed to be a nymph pursued by a fawn. It's so difficult to feel like a nymph when you know it's only the ballet master. Do you think I want to put passion into that? You see, I'm supposed to be flying all the time. But it would be much more subtle, wouldn't it, if I could give the impression that I wanted to be caught? Don't you think so? Gip said suddenly, Yes, I think it would do you good to be in love. Miss Daphne's mouth fell a little open. Her eyes grew round. She said, You frightened me when you said that. You looked so different, so intense. A flame indeed had leaped up in Jip. This fluffy, flabby talk of love set her instincts in revolt. She did not want to love. She had failed to fall in love. But whatever love was like, it did not bear talking about. How was it that this little suburban girl, when she once got on her toes, could twirl one's emotions as she did? You know what I should simply revel in? Daphne Wing went on, to dance to you here in the garden some night. It must be wonderful to dance out of doors, and the grass is nice and hard now. Only I suppose it would shock the servants. Do they look out this way? Jip shook her head. I could dance over there in front of the drawing-room window. Only it would have to be moonlight. I could come any Sunday. I've got a dance where I'm supposed to be a lotus flower. That would do splendidly. And there's my real moonlight dance that goes to Chopin. I could bring my dresses and change in the music room, couldn't I? She wriggled up and sat cross-legged, gazing at Jip and clasping her hands. Oh, may I? Her excitement infected Jip. Her desire to give pleasure, the queerness of the notion, and her real love of seeing this girl dance, made her say, Yes, next Sunday. Daphne Wing got up, made a rush, and kissed her. Her mouth was soft, and she smelled of orange blossom. But Jip recalled a little. She hated promiscuous kisses. Somewhat abashed, Miss Daphne hung her head and said, You did look so lovely, I couldn't help it, really. Jip gave her hand the squeeze of compunction. They went indoors to try over the music of the two dances, and soon after Daphne Wing departed, full of sugar plums and hope. She arrived punctually at eight o'clock next Sunday, carrying an exiguous green linen bag which contained her dresses. She was subdued, and now that it had come to the point, evidently a little scared. Lobster salad, hock and peaches restored her courage. She ate heartily. It did not apparently matter to her whether she danced full or empty, but she would not smoke. It's bad for the... She checked herself. When they had finished supper, Jip shut the dogs into the back premises, she had visions of their rending Miss Wing's draperies or calves. Then they went into the drawing-room, not lighting up, that they might tell when the moonlight was strong enough outside. Though it was the last night of August, the heat was as great as ever, a deep, unstirring warmth. 
the climbing moon shot as yet but a thin shaft here and there through the heavy foliage. They talked in low voices, unconsciously playing up to the nature of the escapade. As the moon drew up, they stole out across the garden to the music room. Chip lighted the candles. Can you manage? Miss Daphne had already shed half her garments. Oh, I'm so excited, Mrs. Fjorsen. I do hope I shall dance well. Chip stole back to the house. It being Sunday evenings, the servants had been easily disposed of. She sat down at the piano, turning her eyes towards the garden. A blurred white shape flitted suddenly across the darkness at the far end and became motionless, as it might be a white flowering bush under the trees. Miss Daphne had come out and was waiting for the moon. It began to play. She pitched on a little Sicilian pastoral that the herdsmen play on their pipes coming down from the hills, softly, from very far, rising, rising, swelling to full cadence and foiling, failing away again to nothing. The moon rose over the trees. Its light flooded the face of the house down onto the grass and spread slowly back toward where the girls stood waiting. Put the border of sunflowers along the garden wall with a stroke of magical, unearthly colour, gold that was not gold. Chip began to play the dance. The pale blur in the darkness stirred. The moonlight fell on the girl now, standing with arms spread, holding out her drapery, a white winged statue. Then, like a gigantic moth, she fluttered forth, blanched and noiseless, flew over the grass, spun and hovered. The moonlight etched out the shape of her head, painted her hair with pallid gold. In the silence, with that unearthly gleam of colour along the sunflowers and on the girl's head, it was as if a spirit had dropped into the garden and was fluttering to and fro, unable to get out. A voice behind Jip said, My God, what's this, an angel? The awesome was standing halfway in the darkened room, staring out into the garden, while the girl had halted, transfixed before the window, her eyes as round as saucers, her mouth open, her limbs rigid with interest and affright. Suddenly she turned, and gathering her garment, fled, her limbs gleaming in the moonlight. And Jip sat, looking up at the apparition of her husband. She could just see his eyes straining after that flying nymph. It's Daphne's form. Why, even his ears were pointed. Had she never noticed before how like a fawn he was? Yes, on her wedding night. And she said quietly, Daphne Fawn was rehearsing her new dance. So you're back. Why didn't you let me know? Are you all right? You look splendid. Dawson bent down and clutched her by the shoulders. My chip, kiss me. But even while her lips were pressed on hers, she felt rather than saw his eyes straying to the garden and thought he would like to be kissing that girl. The moment he had gone to get his things from the cab, she slipped out to the music room. Miss Daphne was dressed and stuffing her garments into the green linen bag. She looked up and said piteously, Oh, does he mind? It's awful, isn't it? Chip strangled her desire to laugh. It's for you to mind. Oh, I don't if you don't. How did you like the dance? Lovely. When you're ready, come along. Oh, I think I'd rather go home, please. It must seem so funny. Would you like to go by this back way into the lane? You turn to the right into the road. Oh, yes, please. 
It would have been better if he could have seen the dance properly, wouldn't it? What would he think? Pip smiled and opened the door into the lane. When she returned, Thiorson was at the window, gazing out. Is it for her or for that flying nymph? End of part two, chapter eight.